Hey everyone, this is Oliver from Heat Rocks with a quick note. Morgan and I taped this episode that you are about to hear, which is about Kanye West's Yeezus with guest Cole Kushner. We did this weeks ago, long before the more recent <coughs> news around Kanye broke. So if you're listening and wondering why we didn't address the many elephants in the room, that's why. We may have an opportunity to do another episode later this year about a different Kanye album, and believe you me, we'll get to more current Kanye events with that show. For now, though, enjoy this episode. Hello, I'm Oliver Wang, recording from my home studio because I have the stomach flu. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Every episode, we invite a guest to join us to talk about a heat rock. You know, flammables, fires, bangers, whatever adjectives for fire you want to put in there. And today, we're turning the clock back five years to revisit Kanye West's 2013 album, Jesus. Yeezy season approaching, fuck whatever y'all been hearing, fuck what, fuck whatever y'all been wearing, a monster about to come alive again, soon as I pull up and park the bins, we get this bitch shaking like Parkinson's, take my number and lock it in, Indian here, no On Yeezus, on site, the lead-off single from Kanye West's sixth album, it means, in his own words, Yeezy season is coming. This is a warning. The monster has been unleashed. Again, For what it's worth, I'll confess that I didn't give this album the attention I should have when it came out. Whereas Kanye was concerned, college dropout had a padlock on my heart. Shout out to Gwen Guthrie. And I was stuck there. <laughs> but things change, tastes change. And the appeal of the album for me is its energy. It's aggressive. It's turned up and it got me turned up. To me, this is an ice cube saying, here's what they think about you. This is Kanye saying, here's what I think about what they think about me. You can describe this a lot of ways, but I describe Jesus in three words. Id, ego, super ego. We're here to talk about heat rocks like Jesus. Many hoes in this house of sin. Real nigga back in the house again. Black Tim's all on your couch again. Black dick all in your spouse again. And I know she like chocolate men. She got more niggas off than cockerin, huh? On sight. On sight. To talk about Yeezus, we have with us one of the nation's premier Kanye-ologists, Cole Kushner, host of his own LP-oriented podcast, Dissect. He describes the show as, quote, long-form musical analysis broken down into short, digestible episodes, which is to say that each season of his show is devoted to a single album, and each episode focuses on one song off that album. If Heat Rocks serves up one hot plate at a time, Dissect's got that multi-course prefix for you. Mm. Cole's done two seasons of Dissect so far. The one that just finished focuses on Kanye's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, which of course immediately preceded Yeezus. So this should be a very fun conversation. Cole Kushner, welcome to Heat Rocks. Yeah, thanks for having me. Even though you devoted an entire season of your podcast to dissecting My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, you have said that your favorite Kanye album is actually this one, Yeezus. What makes Yeezus a heat rock for you? Well, Kanye is one of those artists where it's like you can really just like pick any album and it's, you know, that could be my favorite at any given moment of time. But I think overall, like Yeezus is special to me because of the moment that it represented in, in kind of in his, in his career, just kind of this act of rebellion and just artistic kind of grand slam in my opinion um just kind of creating exactly what he wanted 
never mind what anyone else was going to think, um, which to me is just kind of like a testament to his artistry coming off the the heels of what is considered to be one of the greatest hip-hop records of all time in Twisted Fantasy to just kind of flip the script and present the world with something new. Um, that moment to me is just so Kanye. Plus, sonically, I just love the album. I, From day one, I just loved it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. What's the thing that puts this above the other albums for you? Yeah, I don't know. It, that act of rebellion, I think, is definitely part of it. You know, for me, like, I, I view music... You know, it's always like a gut check thing where it's like, yeah, I do like the album sonically, but if you're going to start talking about favorite albums or these type of things, it's like, it's always going to come back to like that moment of time and what it represented to culture. I mean, just from the opening opening moments, like you alluded to, it's just that synth that comes in is just, it's a, it's a testament, it's a statement, it's, it's a declaration of, of, you know everything that the the album is about, and from start to finish, um, it delivers on that statement. I can't handle no liquor, but these bitches can't handle me. I can't control my niggas, and my niggas they can't control me. You say you know me, my nigga. I think also, you know, the kind of concise nature of it is also very appealing. It's 10 tracks. It's 35 minutes long or something. Sonically, it takes a lot of risks, which is always appealing to me. You know, I I always kind of consider this album his, I'm a big Radiohead fan. And, you know, Mm. when Radiohead released Kid A, you know, Mm. they went from OK Computer to just this electronic record that everyone just didn't really know what to do with. You know, you can say the same thing about the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's artists that are in kind of the popular culture sphere that have everyone's attention. It's one thing to create and kind of piggyback on the success that you have done. It's another to use your celebrity and use your kind of artistic merit to introduce popular culture to something new. And... That involves risk, and I think that risk should be rewarded. That's kind of why I have a soft spot for this album. Not only sonically do I like it, but just what it represents uh, as about Kanye as an artist is everything what I love about Kanye is that he is using his influence to introduce his audience to new things. You see that in Yeezus, but you also see that in like his sneakers and his clothing where people don't quite get those things at the time that they are released, but then you see it a year later and everyone's rocking those shoes or whatever, or, you know, that style is, you know, is what everyone's wearing. So yeah, just the risk that he, he consistently takes is kind of why I'm attracted to Kanye in general. Is this what you were expecting? Did, did the direction of this album, I love it, but did the direction surprise you? 
No, I had no idea. I don't think anyone, anyone really had an idea. I remember the the projections of yeah, oh, right. yeah. that yeah. was the yeah. first I, in my own mind that's what I remember the most about the release of the album but I don't think there's too much roll up to it except for those kind of guerrilla style music videos and then I think he just kind of dropped the album so I don't know if anyone really expected what he was what he was doing mm. I want to come back to the production later because I think that's obviously a huge part of Yeezus but I want to talk a little bit more about where Kanye was at because both you and Morgan have been uh, referring to this and when you explained why you decided to do um, the second season of Dissect um, on fantasy it was because and, and please correct me if I, if I get this wrong is that you basically explained that that album was the bridge between old Kanye and new Kanye and logically, it would follow then that Yeezus would be the first full-length album that embodied the new Kanye. If that's the case, who exactly is the new Kanye, and how is that different than the old Kanye? You know, we say new and old, and I, I use those terminologies too, but I think it represents an evolution. And yeah, I think Yeezus was the first. I mean, so the interesting thing to me is that you had the College Trilogy, which was his first three albums. And then you had 808s, which is in a lot of ways, a precursor to Yeezus. It was yeah, a, totally. an album that no one expected. Right. You know, totally changed the game, totally flipped like his artistic style on its head. And then you had the Taylor Swift moment, which mm. I think actually changed the trajectory of everything. Thank you so much. I always dreamed about what it would be like to maybe win one of these someday, but I never actually thought that would happen. Uh, I sing country music, so thank you so much for giving me a chance to win a VMA award. I... Yo, Taylor, I, I'm really happy for you. I'm going to let you finish. But Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time. One of the best videos of all time. So he made this beautiful masterpiece in Twisted Fantasy, which he later said was an apology album. So the lineage of 808 makes more sense to me to actually go to Yeezus because mm. you can easily categorize 808 as new Kanye. So he was already going in a direction that was, you know, different than his first three albums. Then you had this moment in culture where he felt like he needed to make a comeback and kind of win the, pot, the, the audience over again. So he gave us this incredible album, of course, but it was definitely consciously using what made him popular um, and kind of basically made it that the best it could be and that what Twisted Fantasy is. But as soon as he got everyone back, like he says on Yeezus, you know, as soon as you make him like him, make him unlike him. And then he kind of, you know, continued his <laughs> artistic trajectory into Yeezus, which started at 808s and then continued on into Life of Pablo. Yeah. So I see new Kanye as representing just like him as a as an artist who is not really controlled by anything it's it's him working in a space that is totally self-created mm. not really reporting to anyone as an artist just doing what he wants to do um which i think is the best place an artist can be mm. this album came out four years after the taylor swift brouhaha i heard that he said fantasy was an apology album but However, he took back his apology that he didn't have remorse after that. Why the change? Do you think he sort of embraced like if if I'm a villain, I'm going to be a villain? Or do you think that the apology was was sincere? 
I mean, that's definitely a complicated question. I think it's interesting to think about his career if he had not made Twisted Fantasy. Mm. That's the interesting to me thing to me more than you know. I don't. I, I can't put words in his mouth. I think he was. Twisted Fantasy was almost an act of desperation. Sure. And so desperation can fuel a lot of things in a lot of people. But when it comes to Kanye West, who is an incredible, passionate artist, it fueled one of the greatest albums of all time. So he was fighting for, you know, he and it, and it kind of continues back to where he was before college dropout, where he was fighting so hard to get the attention that he felt he deserved to make it as an artist. And sure. he was very passionate about getting himself there when no one else believed in him. So I think that was the realization of Twisted Fantasy for him was like he made an apology album and it did exactly what he wanted. And I think in that discovery, he was like, well, if public opinion can be so manipulated so right. easily, what am I doing? You right. know, what is this all worth? Like, And then comes Jesus, which is an artistic expression that is not confined at all by public opinion. And right. in fact, is a rebellion of... Against. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. I just need to clear my mind now. It's been racing since the summertime. Free. Now I'm holding down the summer now. Free. And all I want is what I can't buy now. Because I ain't got the money on me right now. And I told you to wait. Free. Yeah, I told you to wait. Free. So I'm going to need a little more time now. Because I ain't got the money on me right now. You said that one of your goals in uh, talking about fantasy on Dissect was to try to humanize Kanye on some level, um, which was an interesting thing to hear because Kanye to me has always seemed perhaps one of the most human of his generation of big scale superstar artists. You know, from the very, very beginning, he's always talked about his insecurities and his anxieties and neuroses. You know, in in a way, I've always thought of Kanye as being this open book. Um, you know, Morgan was saying earlier that he's sort of like this, you know, id, ego, and super ego all rolled into one. So there's not a lot that I think he's necessarily hiding from people. And you listen to a song off of this album, uh, like Blood on the Leaves, for example. Could have been somebody. Thought you'd be different about it. Now I know you not it. So let's get on with it. We could have been somebody. Said you had to tell somebody Let's take it back to the first party When you tried your first mile It came out of your body It came out of your body Running naked down the lobby And you were screaming at There's a lot of unburdening of himself and it feels real and raw and i think that's partly what makes this song and and really the album as a whole to me kind of uncomfortable to listen to at times so i'm just wondering if, if i could just ask you to, to dig a little deeper in terms of what was it about kanye that you felt like needed to be humanized given that this is someone who you know does not hide behind this kind of bulletproof uh persona okay despite him also proclaiming i am a god on the album several times <laughs> I think I was trying to, what I meant by humanize Kanye was humanize him in the eyes of people that are not fans of Kanye West. So mm. I give the anecdote that like season one of, of, of Dissect was about Kendrick Lamar and my my kind of private mission of season one was to make my mom a fan of Kendrick Lamar, <laughs> meaning I was going to provide an entry point into music that she if she just heard it on its own, would not 
care for, would not understand. But by me providing an entry point through, you know, contextualizing the album, putting it in a moment of history, telling the stories behind the album, what made, you know, what made Kendrick's story growing up in Compton, et cetera, et cetera, what, what makes these what makes these artists create these albums? Kanye was the same thing. So, you know, if you're a fan of Kanye, you, you, uh, you a hundred percent connect with him as a human being because you recognize that he very, you know, very clearly puts himself into his albums. And that's a, one of the reasons why people connect so much with his music is that he's very, very honest in his music. But if you're not a fan of Kanye West's music, all you know of Kanye West is that, he said George Bush doesn't care about black people and he interrupted Taylor Swift in the VMAs. So right. you see him as a villain. You see him as this cocky, arrogant person, which, you know, a side of him is, but yeah, yeah, I think the humanizing part comes from a larger kind of observation of how we treat celebrities and, we dehumanize, so like the act of being a celebrity comes with this kind of inherent dehumanization. Key question here, though. So did you actually turn your mom into a fan of Kendrick Lamar? <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> like she's not going to be like bumping all right, like in her car by herself. But like I can actually have a conversation about Kendrick right. Lamar with her and she understands and right. way better than she ever would without season one of dissect so right your mom's not like you know honestly i just prefer section 80 i think <laughs> the material is too <laughs> yeah she's not quite at that level but i think she learned a lot about kendrick Lamar and about just kind of like our society and culture in general I would yeah. Say. yeah yeah close your eyes and let the word paint a thousand pictures one good girl is worth a thousand bitches bam I was just going to just add to your point about about humanizing Kanye. I think to me, this album where we get to see his human side is on Bound. We yeah. get to see his vulnerable side there. This song had me thinking, you know, a lot of things. Certainly like, one, do I need a motorcycle? After this <laughs> video. Um, but also that there's a complicated relationship Kanye has with women. Mm. And so this I mean, I guess this was released when his daughter was born or shortly after. So it would have been he would have been working on it, you know, when she was coming, when Kim was pregnant. But you see a really soft side to him. And it's a it comes at a weird place in the album because it's so aggressive. And then this is so and this is so soft. But the thing that um, that stood out to me about this song is Uncle Charlie. And when he's like, um, I know you're tired of loving and something like needing someone to love and I'm like oh Kanye and sometimes I feel like I have to defend you know crazy Kanye by saying you know he's just misunderstood he's really he's really soft inside Bound was one of those moments did you think that we saw the the real Kanye on this or how did you feel about Bound as a, as a jam I think the entire album actually is a journey to Bound so you start out the album with you know, four songs that set up Kanye as this, as Yeezus, as a character, as part of his his ego, his outward shell, as Yeezus, as a character. And then through the course of the album, as it gets into songs like Blood on the Leaves and these more guilt trip and these more vulnerable songs, 
it's him kind of reckoning with himself, reckoning with that ego to get himself to a place where he could be vulnerable, be be committed to someone. And that, to me, is why Bound is so effective. It's, you know, all this just chaos and distortion and, you know, everything leading up, nine songs leading up to Bound, and then you have this kind of, this diamond that kind of comes out of all that pressure. Uh-huh, honey. What you doing in the club on a Thursday? She said she only here for a girl birthday. They order champagne but still look thirsty. Rock forever 21 but just turned 30. I know I got a bad reputation. Walk around always mad reputation. Leave a pretty girl sad reputation. Start a fight. It's funny how he describes Bound. He's like, when he when he talks about Jesus, he's like, I only gave you guys a little bit of music on that album. He's like, the only music on that album is Bound. So I feel like we earn Bound by all that distortion that precedes it. Um, and that's kind of him working through his ego, working through him kind of like being more, I wouldn't say a womanizer, but like kind of not having a steady relationship sure. with Intel Kim. And that continues over to Life of Pablo. Like the the cover of Life of Pablo has a picture of a family and has a picture of a model with a big booty, right? And it's, <laughs> and then the album actually says which one a hundred right. times on the cover, right? Mm. And he's he's trying to, to balance his life as a family man, as a father with this life of celebrity that affords him all these temptations. And I think Jesus and Life of Pablo is him trying to work through that. And that's the biggest conflict in his life, I'm sure. And he's, as an artist, he's expressing that on his albums. We will be back with more of our conversation with Cole Kushner about Kanye West Yeezus after a brief word from our other fine Max Fun podcast. Keep it locked. <laughs> Is there a dog in a car at a bar on the street? Yay! I'm Allegra Ringo, a small dog owner. My dog Pistachio howls when she's excited. And I'm Renee Culvert, a big dog owner. My dog Tugboat tips over when he's sleepy. And we co-host a podcast called Can I Pet Your Dog that airs every Tuesday. We bring you all things dog. Yes, dog news, dog tech, dogs we met this week. We also have pretty famous guests on Butt Legs. We're not going to let them talk about their projects. No. Just want to hear about those dogs. We don't want to hear about your stuff, only your dogs. So join us every Tuesday on Max Fun. Thank you so much to the over 28,000 members who joined or upgraded during the 2018 Max Fun Drive and to all of our monthly members. You showed up in full force to help us reach our goal and to show our appreciation. We're putting up this year's batch of Max Fun Drive exclusive enamel pins on sale for all $10 and up monthly members. And just like last year, we're giving all the profits to charity. For 2018, we're supporting the National Immigration Law Center. The sale will run from May 18 through May 28, so don't miss it. $10 and up monthly members will be receiving personalized code and instructions to purchase pins on May 17. So keep your inbox open and notifications on. For more details, head over to MaximumFun.org pins. And to learn more about the National Immigration Law Center and support them directly, you can go to NILC.org. We are back on Heat Rocks dissecting material from Kanye West, Yeeza with Cole Kushner. 
I don't mean to be contrarian here because I do like Bound, and I think partly that's because, or actually largely it's because I am a diehard chop up the soul Kanye fan. Uh, and so Yeezus in particular, it was difficult to adjust to given the sound of it. And again, we will definitely come back to this in just a moment. But I want to go back to your point, Morgan, about sort of what the vulnerability is in him exposing or relating something about his relationship, because what stands out to me about Yeezus both back when it came out and and still now when I revisit it is partly because of the anger of that is so um, visceral on this album. A lot of that anger to me is is expressed through, you know, verses of misogyny, of homophobia, um, even on something like Bound, ostensibly a love song. He's talking about stuff like one good girl is worth a thousand bitches, which is basically some NWA, Jay-Z type of, you know, queens versus bitches uh, uh, comparison. Uh, and there's other things even in this song, which just to me reflects uh, something about Kanye's general opinion of women, which is very Madonna horror, uh, horish, if you will. It's it's unbound. It's it's certainly on songs like, for example, "New Slaves." Oh yeah. See his leaders and his followers, but I'd rather be a dick than a swallower. You see his leaders and his followers, but I'd rather be a dick than a swallower. So, can we talk a little bit about? Kanye's relationship to women and, and again on this album there's so much there where he has these these lines that just jump off the page that are it's his expressing his his anger and his fury and a lot of it is coded in this again this very familiar unfortunately language of I think misogyny I have a, I kind of have an interesting perspective on that question because I view Yeezus as a character and so mm, I don't know mm. and it and it was so blatantly over the top a lot of this album. Yeah, right. Especially right. those first four songs. So how much of that is him building this character of Jesus that is an amplified version of himself, a part of himself? I don't know. You know, I think as if I was just viewing it as an album, as a piece of art, as a story, mm-hmm. I'd be inclined to say that he was amplifying these things to kind of portray a character who is who is fi- finding redemption in a song like Bound, mm-hmm. who's finding redemption in love or, you know, what it means to be in a, in a sustainable relationship. And he, he's kind of amplifying his past self as, as a womanizer and trying to make this discovery of what it means to be in love. So, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. certainly I can't really defend those comments. I don't, Without him here, I, I right. obviously can't. And, and you know, I, I should know. have been clear in my question. I'm not asking anyone to defend the comments. I, to me, it's more about the dichotomy in which Kanye is presenting both, and especially in the song like Bound, where you see these two things playing at play at once. Sure. And I think, you're, Cole, your point that, that Yeezus feels very much like a character. I mean, I don't know if Kanye really does think that he is a god, but it would actually make much sense in terms of Yeezus being a particular dimension of himself that he's amplifying and all these other things that we've been talking about would come out through that kind of amplification. Yeah. And I think there's a certain tongue in cheek in some of it too. It's like, yeah, he says, I am a God, but then he's talking about croissants. Right. And, and, and massages. Yeah. yeah. And it's, yeah. And it's, and God, it's, likes, God likes good massages and croissants. Yeah. I mean, you know. And then it, like the, it says, I am a God is a track title and then parentheses featuring God. So right. it's like, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Like, I think he's, you know, that again, maybe it's just character building. I am a God. Hurry up with my damn massage. Hurry up with my damn menage. Get the Porsche out the damn garage. I am a God. Even though 
But I think in, in, in that song and in that phrase, I think it illustrates sort of Kanye's battle between humility and 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 cockiness and arrogance. Yeah. He's like, I'm a god, but I'm a man of God. I'm a child of God. Yeah, and it's exactly. like I think I think it's just this battle that he has all the time. Yeah, this isn't the first album where his you know issues with women have come up. I, I felt this way on Gold Digger. Even though Gold Digger was a jam, I was like, should I party to this? Yeah. Um, because I, I feel like sometimes Kanye's lyrics categorize women. He sees them in certain places. And a little bit of that is, has been uncomfortable. I don't want to spend too much too much on this, but that's why, although Bound came in at a weird time, it was sort of a welcome. I, I was partying to this album, but I had some guilt. The mm. lyrics were as... Oliver mentioned some of them just made me uncomfortable. Um, so I, I need to do some soul searching on that because I enjoyed this album. Um, I wanted to get into uh, Blood on the Leaves a little bit more. That song for me was one of the most shocking on the album. Um, I think because I was expecting something different. Yeah. I heard Nina Simone and I was like, here we go. This is Kanye and Race. Yeah. And then I was like, hey, this isn't Kanye and Race. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the meanings behind. Uh, Blood on the Leaves and your interpretation of the song. I had the same feeling was as you when I heard Blood on the Leaves, which goes back to Billie Holiday. Yeah. And, this, you know, it's like this just kind of infamous song and what it means, you know, just in kind of the the stratosphere of, of culture. Blood on the Leaves And blood at the roots Black bodies swinging in the southern breeze I would love for him to come in and, and tell me why that one was used. I mean, I love how he chopped it. Yeah. I, I love that it's just light, that it doesn't overpower the song. And there's a lot of other stuff in the song because I think he's doing like No Limit or Master P or something on that song. Oh, yeah, yeah. the Sea Murder thing. The Sea yeah. Murder. Yeah. Any insight from you, Oliver? Um, yeah, because when I reviewed this album for NPR uh, when it first came, when it originally came out, I drew special attention to this song and specifically for the Nina Simone sample because to me, I'm one of those people who I hold Simone up in such a way where if you're going to use her, you can't, you can't disrespect her legacy and her memory. And this song, and this is the, this is the contradiction here. I thought blood in the leaves was the most compelling song on the album to me sonically, but it also pissed me off the most because it's sort of like, how dare you take strange fruit, which is a song about, you know, the genocide of, 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 of anti-blackness basically, right. and then turn it into you know, what Kanye does on the song. And so, you know, I, I recognize that he may not have used it in a way that it's supposed to be an ode to the original. Like he maybe just likes the way Nina Simone's voice sounds, which is completely understandable, but it did just bug the fuck out of me <laughs> when I heard, like, again, what you guys were talking about, you hear the Nina Simone, come on. It's like, oh, where's this going? That's it's like, it. oh, what? Yeah. It's going here. But I have to say, again, it's the most compelling song to me sonically and cole i like your point earlier about how if you think about the trajectory of kanye's albums yeezus really is the heir in a lot of ways to 808s and heartbreaks with mm. with fantasy being this bit of a detour um and for me i certainly was not expecting it to be as industrial as aggressive um uh, and as cold as the album was and 
let's talk a little bit about, yeah, what 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 do we think he was going for in, you know, bringing in Daft Punk, for example, to produce a lot of the early songs um, in the sequence that gives this album such a, a punch in the face right out the box? Yeah, I mean, I know I know the sonics of the album started with Daft Punk. I know he had, you know, spent some time with them in Paris. If you th- if you think about what he was trying to do and close um, at the time, you know, which is a lot of what this album was, in the, at least in the first four songs, was him frustrated and trying to do fashion and no one giving him support, and he just felt like he was marginalized as a as an artist as a, as a everyone was looking at him as just like a rapper when he felt like he was something much more than that, which I think he clearly is and has proven since then, but. At the time, you know, no, he felt like no one was taking him seriously. He was had gone to fashion school. He'd studied, you know, fashion in a very academic way. And, you know, with his influence and with his education, he still wasn't getting opportunities where he felt like he was able to create as much as he wanted to create. So I think that frustration led to him hearing Daft Punk create these wild sounds and it just resonated him like okay you have this really like these synthesizers that are distorted and and like and just aggressive and that was his mentality at the time and i think it must have just clearly resonated with him as as an expression of what he was feeling and he just kind of used that and built an entire album around that sound it's very clear in the lyrics that aggression and also in all those interviews he was doing at the time of the release of Jesus, where he was going on radio shows uh, almost every single day, it seemed like, and just, you know, having these moments of just these kind of aggressive rants, the sway thing being like kind of the most infamous moment. Mm. But, you know, on all, I, you know, during that time, I was listening to every single one of those interviews. And he was very, he essentially was just going on those, those places to express his frustration and, and trying to create fashion. Thinking back about it now, like, it was a strategy that ultimately worked because Adidas signed him right. and he was able to create shoes. And now he's creating, you know, he's on his sixth line of, you know, actual clothes. Um, and you're starting to see those influences everywhere. So, you know, I think the strategy worked. But again, to go back to your question, like, yeah, it was a, the genesis of the, the, the Sonics was frustration. And I think synthesizers and kind of the sterile, dark, yeah, aggressive feeling was an expression of what he was feeling at the time. So going into putting a, a sound with a feeling, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite songs on this album is Black Skinhead. Yeah. I don't get ran at my Catholics because of conservative Baptists claiming I'm overreacting like the black kids in Chirac, bitch. Going in the morning and I'm zoning, they say I'm possessed. It's the omen, I keep it 300. Like the Romans, 300 bitches where the Trojans, baby, we living in the moment. I've been a menace for the longest, but I ain't finished. I'm devoted and you know it and you know it. It had me at the start because I like uh, Marilyn Manson and I like the dope show that (laughs) I was uh, hyped. It was just like running into battle, running into a fight. Um, And so whatever he was feeling, what he was getting ready to describe to us, he had us at the beginning. Now, um, it was placed, that song was placed in in, uh, Suicide Squad. And the scene that it's placed in is Will Smith firing off a gun, showing off some gunplay. And I'm like, usually, you know, if I hear Kanye somewhere, I'm like, I don't know. I just want to keep it on the album. Yeah. It worked there. Then I heard it on a Camry commercial. 
And I was like, yo, are they trying to tell me that Camrys, this is not your mama's Camry? What? All new Toyota Camry, defy expectation. Oh, what a feeling. Toyota. That's my favorite song on the album. What's your favorite song on the album? I would have to say I'm In It is actually my favorite of okay. this album, oh. which is, you know, as much as I'm not probably comfortable talking about the subject matter of that one. I'm um, not comfortable either, uh, <laughs> uh, Cole. No, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. No, go ahead. I, no, I, I know this is going to take us to a place. But. No, I mean, and, and it's not really, I mean, it's more about just the the dynamics of that track to me is just incredible um, with Assassin coming in and just a vis in terms of visceral experience yeah black skinhead it sounds like was a visceral experience yeah. for you first I, like every time i hear i'm in it like i just it gets me going the glass, chasing love all the bitter sweet i was lost eating asian pussy all i need was sweet and sour sauce tell your boss you need an extra hour off get you super wet after we turn the shower off the first time I listened to it, I thought, well, the standout track for me is New Slaves. You see, it's broke, nigga, race him. That's that don't touch anything in the stove. And it's rich, nigga, race him. That's that come in, please buy more. What you want? A Bentley, fur coat, a diamond chain? All you blacks want all the same thing. Used to only be niggas. Everybody playing, spending anything on Alexander Wang. New Slaves. But going back to listening to it and prep for this for this chat, it was like, oh, oh no, 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 it's black skinheads. Yeah, right? I think lyrically, New Slaves is probably the best on oh, the yeah. album for sure. But yeah, you know, it's leaders and it's followers. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> this is a tough question, but we ask it in every interview. Is there a song that you would like to see someone else take on from this album, or that you'd like to see remixed? And by who? And by who? Yeah. Oh, interesting. I don't know why the first person that came to my mind was Daniel Caesar. Good call. Just because I love when, because I feel like he can make any song his own. Like he has that quality about him where he could, and I think he's done a few covers. Um, and I feel like he's that kind of singer songwriter that could take a song and just totally make it his own. Um, what song he did that with, you know, you know, maybe it is something like a blood on the leaves. Um, mm. We already know what Morgan's three words would be describe Jesus and Cole. If you could only describe this LP in three words, what would they be? Three words. Frustration, mm. cathartic, and searching. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that will do it for this episode of Heat Rocks. Our guest has been Cole Kushner of the Dissect Podcast. Where can people find more information about both yourself and your podcast? Yeah, you can just search any podcast player, Dissect Podcast. It'll come up, uh, dissectpodcast.com. And you can follow at Dissect Podcast on all the socials, Twitter and Instagram and all that. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is such a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great. So glad to have you. And I want to say also, if you love an artist, get your mom to love an artist as well as Cole has tried to do with Kendrick Lamar. Get into it. (laughs) You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wang and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Heat Rocks is produced by myself and Morgan Rhodes, along with Shana Deloria and Kara Hart, both of whom engineer and edit our show. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and executive producer is Jesse Thorne. We are part of the Max Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the on-site Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Heat Rocks Pod. You can find a link to our Facebook group on our webpage, heatrockspod.com, and that's where we will post show notes for every episode, including a track listing of everything you've heard today and other goodies. Again, that's at Heat Rocks pod.com we also want to thank all of our five-star itunes reviewers including t love did and dequain if you haven't had a chance yet please consider leaving us a review it is such an important way that we get to find new listeners or help them find us i should say good to see you oliver good to see you too morgan and before we go here is a teaser from next week's episode which features dj cut chemist talking to us about the groundbreaking debut album by the UK's Samandi. I <clears throat> stole that record. <laughs> oh. Statute of limitations <laughs> probably will probably, probably apply, but only, I think, to a certain dollar amount, which I exceeded, yeah. uh, and, uh, in 1987. And um, I, I was told about this record by a couple of B-boys in a New York City record store called High Tech. And it was on Bleecker. And it was one of these short-lived record stores. I was out there, I was 15 years old, and they played me um, the Paul Winley 12-inch of Samande with yeah. Smoke and Chiba. And, and it was $15, and I was like, oh man, that's got to be rare. It's too much money for me, though. Uh, and then I thought about it the next day. And I went back to go buy it, and they said, sorry, a Japanese gentleman came in here and bought it. Of course. And so that was my first experience of going, damn it, the Japanese came in here and bought the record I wanted? What the hell? (laughs) What are they doing with my records? MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.